There are people in my life that I love to listen to. So much so that I move heaven and earth and all the activities of my life to get FaceTime with them, to pick their brains, to listen to their wisdom, to seek their counsel, to ask about a direction. And when I spend time with these people, I tend to do something called leaning in, where you lean in, you silence your cell phone, you you, you aren't easily distracted by someone walking around you. You just lean in. Do you have people like that in your lives? People in your life who, who you lean in. When they speak, you are all ears. As we get into God's word, I want you to, to think about the lean-in factor that God's word has in your life. You see, God's word is not something we get over to get into a message. God's word is truth, in which when we get into, we can't get over. It's meant to have a lean-in factor in our lives. Before it was read in the Old Testament, the prophets used to say, thus saith the Lord. In other words, Israel, lean in, listen up. God has something to say. And so it's the center of our preaching. It informs us as it transforms us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we open the word today, I want to just remind you, what do we believe about God's word? We believe this. We believe that God is light. In him, there is no darkness. We believe that God is the creator of this world and everything that is. He is related and he's revealed himself to humanity. God has acted. God has spoken through his prophets and his priests, and finally, uh, in Jesus Christ himself, the word of God made flesh, God has preserved his actions and his words in writing. Through this written word, he continues to speak powerfully to us. Pastors much, must preach the word, and to this we have been called. The church, us, we need to listen and apply the word for our health and for our maturity. When pastors preach the word with integrity, the voice of God is heard. And the church is convicted, it's humbled, it's restored, it's transformed into an instrument that God can use for his glory, for his purposes. This has always been the belief of the people of God. It began with the prophets of old, and it was confirmed and fulfilled by Jesus, and it was boldly proclaimed by the apostles in the New Testament. It continues with us. We're going to hear from one apostle, the apostle Paul, who spoke boldly to his fellow pastor, a younger pastor named Timothy, who pastored a church in Ephesus. If you have your Bibles, open them to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we'll pick up on what he says. This final letter by the Apostle Paul uh, was the last will and testament. He would be taken outside of Rome after he wrote this letter and be beheaded for the cause of the gospel. He gives Timothy this charge in this passage. He says in Greek, keruxon ton logon, which literally means preach the word. Never give up. Preach the word until Jesus returns. Endure the preaching of the word. Look at the passion in which he kind of concludes his final will and testament 
in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. We'll read down to verse 8. It says this. I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Here, Paul is going to instruct Timothy uh, why we preach the word. And uh, I want to kind of bring us back to true north here as we, as we kind of examine what he's teaching us here. And I want to kind of give you five reasons why we must preach the word. That when we gather together and we sing and we pray and we encourage each other, why do we gather around this word? And what happens when we preach the word? Let's take a look at the first one. Paul says we preach the word because it builds a loving and a longing for the appearance of Jesus. Take a look at that first verse again. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. When we preach the word, we talk about the appearance, the first appearance of Jesus. Paul started off this whole letter by saying that Jesus Christ came and literally was revealed when he appeared on this earth. When he appeared on this earth, he was going, he was someone who was manifested through, uh, of God. He was someone who showed people how to come back. This appearing of the Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, was the one who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. But here at the end of this passage, he's saying that this will be awarded to me. This crown of righteousness will be awarded to me and all who loved the appearance of Jesus. What does this appearance mean? Certainly it means when Jesus came in the flesh and he lived a life for us, we couldn't live. He lived a perfect life. And certainly it means that when he died on the cross, he died for my sin and yours. He paid that completely, satisfied the wrath of God. And then when he rose from the dead, he defeated the power and abolished death and, and brought immortality and life to all who believes. But it also means in a future appearance. And that someday this Jesus will return and he will return as a judge. Judge of the living and the dead. The first time Jesus came, he came as a meek and lowly servant. Seeking to save those who were lost. When he returns the second time, at his second appearance, he will return to judge, to judge this world. And so church, prepare to meet the judge. 
As we preach the word, we call people into rescue. We call people into salvation. We call people that don't, you don't have to try to be good. You can't. None of us can be good. Jesus was perfect. None of us could kind of make our good deeds our way, our bad deeds. That can't happen. Only Jesus is enough to satisfy the wrath of God. So run to Jesus. I love that story. I love that story that it's not you being good. It's not me giving you guilt and shame. It's not me telling you, if you just do these five things, you'll get into heaven. I love that it's all been provided by Jesus. All we have to do is receive what he's already provided. And the more we talk about the work of Jesus, the more we talk about his first appearance, the more we look forward to his second appearance. Preaching the word does that. And so therefore, preach urgently, church. Preach urgently this message about Jesus because someday, only the Father knows, Jesus will return and he'll receive us to himself. And those who have trusted in Christ will have salvation. Those who have not trusted or rejected this message will receive condemnation. But we're to preach urgently. That's why Paul says, go back to verse 2. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. I grew up in the church, and this is one of the verses I memorized when I was a little kid. And I always used to think this meant, you guys got to be ready, Joe. Someone's going to ask you a question about Jesus. You better have quick fire. And so I was always looking over my shoulder. Someone's going to ask a question I can't answer. And I was in panic. But what Paul is saying here, he's not just saying get ready for a quick fire. He's saying be ready when people are open to it as well as when people reject it. Preach the word when you say it and people come to Christ as well as when you say it and people say, forget you. Timothy, endure preaching. Preach it urgently. The king is coming back. Whether or not it's accepted, whether or not it's, people are open to it or close to it, endure the preaching of the word. And so we do. Every time we get together here, we talk about the work of Jesus. Every time we get together here, many of you come from backgrounds where you're just thinking, do I have enough? Am I enough? Do I, do, what do I have to got to do more? And we simply say, everything you have ever needed with God has been provided with Jesus Christ. Humble your heart. Turn from your sin to trust in the only one who can save you. Preach the word urgently. The king is coming back. Secondly, we preach the word because it rescues us from destruction. It rescues us from destruction. Take a look at that verse again in chapter 4, verse 2. Paul says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. And look at those three strong words. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Those are good Scrabble words, but what do they mean? What do they mean? What does it mean to reprove, rebuke, and exhort? Well, Paul is saying those are strong words because the word is a warning. It's a warning us. It, it rescues us from people walking off a cliff. It says, stop, that way leads to destruction. The book of Proverbs says there is a way that seems right to a man, but in its end, it leads to destruction. And what that says to us is sometimes we're deceived in this life. Sometimes we buy into a lie of if you just get into this relationship, if you just take this drug, if you just get one more gadget, your life will be more fulfilled. And we can buy that and we can buy that and we can buy that until it leads to destruction. And Paul is saying, no, no, reprove, rebuke, exhort. 
He makes a list in chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, flip over to chapter 3, verse 2. And he kind of talks about in the final days, which are the days we live in today, as they were the days Paul lived in, they're going to be difficult times. And it talks about people. And you know what? I just think, um, I used to look at this passage as, boy, I'm not that, I'm not that, I'm not that, not looking too bad. But as I opened up my eyes a little bit more, and as I looked in the mirror, I realized that this might be describing my heart. And if you're honest, it might yours. Take a look at what he says. He says that people will be lovers of self. I don't struggle with that one at all. Um, I am completely humble, and I think about others all the time. I don't wake up thinking how my wife can serve me. I always wake up, how can I serve you, honey? Kids, when they don't obey me, no big deal. They're developing. That's who they are. I don't have a problem. So let's move on. Lovers of money. Don't have a problem with that. We don't have a problem with that here at FBC because the offering place just overflow. I mean, there are times we have to go, stop giving everyone. Just stop loving God more than money. I mean, this is crazy. No, no. Let's be honest here. We love our things. Let's keep going. Arrogant, abusive, kids, disobedient to parents. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Paul says, this is who you preach to. Every week, Timothy, all the time. You, this is us. This is us. And so Timothy preached the word. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. The word calls us, calls us thrill seekers away from the cliff. There's something about us. We like the edge, don't we? We like, and I mean, we show it in a lot of different ways. Some of us ride a motorcycle, some of us ski, some of us surf, not in Kansas, but we surf. Some of us uh, just like that next vacation or exploration. Paul had the thrill of the gospel for his life. Nothing was more exciting to him than a life with Christ. I think about all the thrill seekers that are out there in our world today that ignore the threats to experience the thrill. And they throw precaution and safety to the wind. And it leads to destruction. We tend to highlight the ones, though, who just cheat that narrow margin of safety. Like just recently, there was a guy named Luke Atkins who was sitting in bed. He was a skydiver and he said, hey, I wonder what it would be like to jump out of a plane without a parachute. So he did it. He goes up 25,000 feet. He jumps with oxygen and he jumped with a group of guys. So he hands the oxygen to them, you know, as he's jumping, free falling. And he rigged this this netting that was 100 feet by 100 feet held up by cranes. If you Google, don't do it now because people around you will see it. But if you Google man jumps from plane without parachute, you'll see it. And so he jumps and this netting is 100 feet by 100 feet. And he was to hit that. And it was the whole whole physics behind it was it would catch it like if you threw an egg and someone caught it like this and absorbed the impact. And he's falling to the earth. He hit, he maxes out at terminal velocity at 150 miles per hour. 
and he hits the net and he survives. And everyone goes, yeah, woohoo, and he hops out and yeah, what if he would have missed? I know some of you said, I'd like to be in the audience then. Yeah, that's, no, those are NASCAR fans, right? No, there's something about us that loves the thrill more when it breaks. We don't show those videos. We don't show those videos. Here's the deal. There's so many things in our lives that we can walk away from God and seek the thrill more than we seek Christ. And it leads to destruction. And the word is that parent, that loving parent who sees that destruction and has seen that destruction. God has seen destruction for a long time because of sin. He's calling out with the word, with come back. Let this rescue you. Let me rescue you from destruction. Like that parent who has that little toddler who's walking 10 feet ahead and they see the busy uh, intersection. What does the parent do? They don't go, hey, honey, I think it's a good idea if you stop. No, they go, stop, stop. And they run after and they grab that kid. The word of God comes up to us sometimes and says, stop. Three words, really strong words that call us to preach the word boldly. Preach the word boldly. First one is this, reprove. When you reprove someone, you're basically proving something over and over. You reprove it, which means someone is questioning it. Someone is skeptical about it. You know, every time we get into God's word, there's going to be someone who goes, I don't know if I believe that. If it's rescuing us from destruction, ah, I think those rules don't apply to me in life. God wants me to be happy. No, the word of God comes and says, this isn't going to be comfortable, but here's why God calls us to follow him in this area. And so we, we reprove, we keep explaining from the scriptures. Paul did that just in the explaining of who Jesus was because he didn't have what we have. We, we have now the New Testament that speaks over and over of Jesus. He had the Old Testament. So when he said all scriptures breathed out by God, he was talking about the Old Testament scriptures. And he had to prove that from the Old Testament scriptures, Jesus was the fulfillment to all their prophets. Jesus was the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. Jesus was despised and rejected of man, a man of acquainted with sorrows. And, and so he was calling them back. He was reproving over and over. Jesus really is the fulfillment of this prophecy. But he also rebuked. Some of you would have to go back to our old Southern Baptist days. I rebuke you. You know, that's kind of, it's kind of that correction. It's a harsh word, isn't it? But it's a word for boldness. To, to stop someone and correct someone who's about to plummet. And if you love someone, that's why love always powers preaching. If you love someone, you hate the things that hurt them, right? If you love someone and they have cancer, you hate cancer. And you put your life on their line to be there for them. When you see someone making a, a decision that's going to just go over the edge and some, you, you get in there and you call them back, you correct them. The word of God does that. It calls you back. It calls sin, sin, and it calls people away from it. It calls them to follow Christ. And then finally, that word exhort. That word exhort is really designed for those of us who, who, uh, who are anxious, who are worried, who are wondering, should I really follow Jesus? Maybe we have distractions. 
maybe we have, uh, we're in survival mode, but it, when you exhort someone, you say, look, following Jesus is always better than following your impulse. Following Jesus, and when you do that, I know it doesn't sound popular. I know you may not want to right now, but take God at his word and follow him. It, look what could happen if God really got a hold of your heart. I have the gift of exhortation. I absolutely am passionate about showing everybody when we get into God's word what it could look like if we really believed God for who he was and acted on what he called us to be. I absolutely love doing that and calling people into following Jesus, no strings attached, and loving him with our all. Paul said, do that. And do this with gentleness and respect, but do it with boldness. It stands out. God's word stands out amongst all the other quick fixes, all the other hollow solutions, all the current self-help trends. God's word satisfies the longing of our heart. So when you open it, lean in. You have your heavenly father who wants to speak to you. And then thirdly, When we preach, it deepens our dependence on the power of God. Here's where I get it. Let's go back to chapter 4, verse 2. It says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort, in three words, with complete patience. Paul said earlier in chapter 2, verse 24, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And I think about that. Patience. Remember we defined patience about a month ago? I said patience is waiting on God to work his plan in his timing for his purpose and for your best. So when we're patient, we trust God with people. Because here's the truth. I can't change you. I can't. If you've been married for a while, look at your spouse and say this to her or him. Say it right now. I cannot change you. But Jesus can. (laughs) All right? Okay? How many of us have tried to change our spouses? How many of us have been in a relationship and, no, she wasn't what we thought she'd be, so we try to change her? Yeah? Try. (laughs) That doesn't work. It's not working out for us. And so we have to realize if change is going to happen, it's going to have to happen from God. And that's the beauty of God's word. I have tried to put guilt and shame on people when I'm preaching, and that tends to get an immediate response, gets a reaction, but it rarely sustains. I've tried to use emotion in preaching and that has, that pulls heartstrings and that gets people to, again, react in the short term. But transformation rarely happens when it's by my power. We don't peddle the word of God like a a salesman. Folks, if you act today, you'll have eternal life. No payments until ever, you know. I mean, we could do that with the word of God. But it's God who changes our hearts. It's good then to be patient. It's good to trust people with the word of God. It's good to trust people with the timing of God. And that's why I say, you know, if, if you guys are here and you're questioning God, keep coming. I'll be patient with you. Because it's not going to be me who, you know, changes you. It's going to be God who works in you. If you're struggling with an issue, be patient. 
Stay focused in God's word and the truth comes out there. It even says that the time will come when people will not endure the teaching of this of the word. It's enduring a little bit for you to hear something that you don't want to do, but yet you know it's for your best. Biblical preaching is based on patience for God to work out his plans. So church, preach patiently. We preach trusting in the timing of God in your life. We preach in the power of God. Only he can open eyes. How many of you have heard the gospel 50 times before you finally got it? Yeah, many of you have. When you first heard it, you were like, no way, that sounds too easy. Some of you even said, well, my background is you got to be good. You got to go to church. If you mess up, you... Yeah, you just try to be good the next week. And the reality of that is nothing we could do could ever earn salvation. It's a free gift by God. We can receive it because the call of the gospel is whosoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. It's a call of the gospel. So preach patiently. God's going to work. God's going to work. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but who gave it the growth? God gave it the growth. And so that's what we do. We preach patiently. Number four. Fourth reason we're to preach is because preaching guides us back to the truth. Here Paul says, with complete patience and teaching. In other words, keep continually teaching and giving instruction to the church from God's word. He'd say in verse 3, if you take a look in chapter 4, verse 3, he says, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, Timothy, always be sober. Always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Folks, the truth is we have itching ears, itching ears that wants to live, want to live the way we want to live and listen to who we want to listen. I found that. Take a look at the presidential election. We only want people who agree with our platforms. We only want the candidate to speak the way we believe, the way we think government ought to be. And when they speak, we clap. And when they say things we don't like, we go, okay, the word of God is not a political rally. It's not. And the pastor needs to be careful that they don't preach in a way just to rouse up the audience. He's saying, people want to hear things. I hear this all the time. I loved coming to fellowship until you talked about sexual identity. And man, that really ticked me off. I don't want to hear that. Okay, sorry. This is God's word. It was really good until you started talking about, you know, how Jesus really owns everything and we're to give generously to him. I mean, this is my money. This is my stuff. I don't like to hear him as just give me happy thoughts, pastor. Okay. And you know what? We experience that all the time. And there's always a certain percentage of people who hear a message. They don't like it. and They don't come back. I don't know. They're punishing me for a few weeks or something like that. Here's the deal. We, we preach unapologetic. But you know what? As I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. No one needs this more than me. And I'm here five services. 
to hear the same message. I need to hear this. And so if ice can stick around, you can hang with me for one message, right? No, we do that with complete instruction. And so we're to preach specifically. Not just this is God, this is who he is, this is what he's done. But really, what is God saying to us as a church family? What is God saying more personally to me? How should I live as a result of the truth of God's word? Showing not only the what we're to do, but the why and the how. We're like, we're explaining to to children, explaining to each other, this is why we do what we do. This is why we believe what we believe. It's with all teaching. Realize that the word of God cuts into our lives and it exposes the reality of sin in each of us. Sometimes the word of God is comforting to me. It's encouraging to me. It reminds me I have a loving heavenly father. It reminds me that Jesus loves me. And it's nothing I could do. On my worst day, it reminds me I'm loved. But there's other times when the word of God comes in and confronts me. And when it it disciplines me. Those are not always happy days. But I've learned over the course of my life of leaning into God's word. I've learned that I have a loving heavenly father who wants his best for my best. I see that. I see that. So we preach specifically. And then finally, finally, we preach because it leaves a legacy of the gospel to the next generation. Look what Paul says in verse six of chapter four. He says this, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. We Just move your heads up here real quickly. Paul's given that illustration that his life is being poured out. It's the end of his life. And we've grabbed onto this term. It's called finish empty with your life, right? Finish empty with yourself and full of Jesus. That's the picture we get with the Apostle Paul. But here he says, in the time of my departure has come. That's a shipping term. It's a shipping term that as they were leaving, your time of departure. It's almost as my bon voyage is about to happen. And so, Paul, how many ships did that guy get on to advance the gospel? How many ships were wrecked when he got on them? I mean, you just take a look at this guy at the end of his life. He is not apologetic. He's finishing without regrets. And he has faithfully preached the word. He says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which which the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearance. Here the reality was, Paul was going to die. Can I just give you some truth? It's a reality, folks. If Jesus doesn't return, we're all going to die. We are. We're all deteriorating. Sorry to give you that news, okay? But I look every morning at what's deteriorating with me. And I've got to live with that reality. The time of our departure for some of us is closer than others. But here's the deal. Finish empty. Finish empty by pouring yourself out by preaching the gospel. 
Some environments, it's going to be like this in a larger room declaring God's truth. Others, it's going to be sitting at a dinner table with a frustrated child talking about Jesus. Others, it's going to be an adolescent who's rejected by that, you know, middle school relationship that lasted all of three days and they never thought anyone would love them. And you'll preach the word lovingly to them. Others, it's going to be a workmate who comes to you and you just look like you have something they want to lean in with. And you have an opportunity to preach the word. Preach the word. Because that's how the word is passed on to the next generation. Not when we just go, hey, read it, do what it says, I'm out. You know, that's not what the word of God is for us. Just to throw at people or stomp on with people or beat with people. It's something that we speak of. We preach it. And we preach it and we pass it on to the next generation. What are you passing on to the next generation that will last? That will last. I've seen money just get blown by one generation to the next. I've seen little curios filled with little keepsakes that get broken or get demolished. But what I see that thrills me the most is Jesus in the life of your children. Jesus in the life of your family. Jesus in the lives of people you work with. Jesus in all that you do. That's the legacy we all leave. And that to that legacy, we finish empty to make happen in this world. Why we must preach the word in this place is the same reason why you should preach the word in your lives. We're all about creating environments where we can lean into God's word. We certainly have this environment where we can talk about it. But we have another environment, and that's the environment of a small group. And we're going to be uh, beginning our small groups in the middle of September. And we'd love to have any of you who would like to begin a small group. And here's the requirement. You have you and a few of your friends who'd like to lean into God's word. We're going to be starting a series uh, in the middle of September called uh, Awakening. What your life is awakened to the power of the gospel in your life. And I hope you'll be here for that. And I hope that if you're not in a small group, you could start one. As you leave today, there's going to be someone at the door on the the left-hand side of the upper atrium here who could help you start a group. We know that some of you have never led a small group or began a small group. We have people who can help you do that, and it's the easiest. Last year, we had over 150 small groups begin on our launch. We want to have around 200 this year. We need people to help begin one. Look around you. Who can you lean in with God's word? A neighbor? Someone you work with? Your family? Some, some of your friends? And see what God will do if you'll begin a small group. Here's the deal. When we lean into God's word, God transforms us. It's going to require us to clear away all those distractions so that we can clearly hear from God. Let me pray for us as we begin this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it represents your heart and your love for us and your truth for us. May we be people who lean in. Make us wise to your word. Move us away from foolishness and help us to listen to you and whatever it looks like, Lord, give us the strength and the courage and the willingness to follow you. 
It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.